Welcome wrestling fans worldwide to Knoxville and the Great Smoky Mountains for the Ron Fuller Tennessee Studcast. Six feet nine inches tall, 265 pounds. This historic podcast from one of the most respected and successful wrestlers and promoters will follow the footsteps of one of the largest and oldest wrestling families on the planet. The Tennessee Stud, Ron Fuller. Through 93 years and four generations. The Stud has arrived. Old school or new fan, this unique broadcast will educate and captivate as Ron details decades of professional wrestling's growth with truly unforgettable stories. I want those people out there at home to hear the stud. Sit back and enjoy the ride with the Tennessee stud. The Tennessee stud. You will learn that name. You will remember it. And now, the stud is here. Everybody, welcome in. It's David Summers hosting another Studcast with the Tennessee Stud, Ron Fuller. It's the only podcast on the planet documenting the real story of professional wrestling. It's 100 years of rich wrestling history as told by the Stud. Please welcome the originator of the Studcast, the man who changed the podcasting world with the Super Studcast. We step back into the ring, back into time. It's the Tennessee Stud, Ron Fuller. What's up, Ron? Hey, I'm great, my man. Great to be with you again. We're rolling again and going to do another one. And uh, just real happy to be here, back in the state of Tennessee and uh, enjoying it, riding the Smoky Mountains here. And (laughs) it's been pretty pleasant in the last couple of weeks since I've been here Been really enjoying it. That's awesome. So are you still sitting on boxes? How's it coming? I I know you have plans to build a home. But are you comfortable now? Are you living in a drainage ditch? Tell us what's happening. <laughs> well, I'll tell you what. I'm looking out the window right now. We happen to be having a tremendous two days of uh, big storms here in the Smoky Mountains. And the big, I know, do have a stream right beside my house, oddly enough. And uh, that sucker's a, it's about to overflow its banks. So I'm hoping to get the show done before I have to get my feet wet. A good deal. Um, all right listen i would be remiss if we didn't talk about last week's show which i thought was just absolutely phenomenal and i'm sure you've been hearing it all week on facebook and twitter and all your social media but and i ran into somebody at lunch today that was talking about last week's show so folks even here in the tri-states area of alabama georgia and florida are talking about last week's show so an amazing job once again with number 197, after number 196, I thought you really stood it on its head. But, man, that was an awesome job last week. Well, thank you very much, Dave. I appreciate that. Uh, it's easy to tell a great story. And, wow, uh, what's happening in Southeastern at this point in 1977, week after week, is a, it's an easy story, and it's a great story, too. Uh, and uh, we did have a big rise in numbers, which I'm really happy to say. We kind of watched those every once in a while just to see what's happened. I was curious about the, these two Harley race back-to-back, part one and two. And uh, 96 was uh, big numbers, and 97 was gigantic numbers, man. It really, really almost doubled 96's numbers. And wow. So, yeah, I mean, uh, we're, we're getting a lot of new listeners, and I'm really happy about that. And I want to thank all those new listeners for joining us today again. And we've got another one for him today, my man. 
Good deal. I'm ready to get into that, but I wanted to mention once again, last week, the match ended and it was a complete draw. So you didn't beat Harley. Harley didn't beat you, but that was still a huge statement in its day for a young guy like you to get a, get a, well, he didn't win and you didn't win, but to end in a draw like that in a match against the NWA world champion. Yeah, I mean it's uh, I guess it's kind of a feather in your hat in your cap. Anytime you can wrestle for 60 minutes with <laughs> yeah. anybody, it's a pretty remarkable feat, you know, but when you can wrestle for 60 minutes with a guy like Harley who uh when you end up with that belt and as the NWA World Heavyweight Champion, you get in tremendous shape because <laughs> you may end up doing uh you know some of the, the schedules for these champions, these NWA world champions back in the day, were just uh, atrocious. They were horrible. I mean, I've seen uh, Jack Briscoe's. He showed me a couple of times his schedule for the following month. And it was like uh, it was 30 days in the month. And he was actually wrestling 35 times. He was wrestling on TVs besides every night. He didn't have a day off. He was in three countries. Not not in three counties or three states, but three countries. Wow. Uh, you know, and uh, and he was wrestling. I asked him, how many average uh, times do you go a week? Do you wrestle that one hour? What we call in wrestling Broadway, you know, yeah. and, uh, and I guess that's a pretty good description of going 60 minutes, man. It's a, <laughs> it's a long period of time. And he said, Ron, it wasn't uncommon to do four or five a week hour. Oh. And when you do that, you get in such phenomenal shape. So, you know, I think it was probably not nearly as draining for Harley as it was for me, maybe, because uh, I'm young and I was really excited. For Harley, it's just another match. It's just another hour. You know, (laughs) he's not nervous and he's, you know, he's not he's not wasting a lot of breath. You know, he's just uh, taking his time and, and I'm just, you know. So it's quite an experience to make it an hour with a world heavyweight champion. And, and I, and I managed to do that several times in my career. Yeah. I never got over the hump, obviously never got the belt, but, uh, I I wrestled the many world champions, to 60 minute time limit matches. I've heard you talk about these one hour matches and I've heard you talking about you, you weighed yourself before and after the match. And there was a huge difference that you had lost so much weight in one match. Yeah, amazing. Yeah, uh, I did one uh, with Ronnie Garvin. Uh, since you know <laughs> we're talking so much about Garvin at yeah, this point, yeah. but uh, Ronnie Garvin and I in 1971, when I was first year in wrestling, really, uh, we wrestled in Fort Myers in a National Guard Armory <laughs> with mask on. He had lost the loser leave, came back with a mask on. I lost the loser leave to him, and I put a mask on and came back. And we wrestled an hour with mask on and I'd never had a mask on in my life. And that made it just that much more difficult. And I went and I weighed myself before I went in the ring just to see how much weight I would lose. And I came back and weighed myself one hour later and I lost 21 pounds. Wow. (laughs) That is so hard to fathom. Yeah, I mean, it's amazing amazing what it takes out of you. And especially when you're in those hot buildings back in the day, like that army was, it had no air conditioning and no windows. Yeah. And you got 2,000 people in a building that's probably supposed to hold 1,000. 
and yeah. you know there's no air to breathe it's pretty it's it's a it's a horrible experience but it's a great experience and you know fans got to see a good match uh, that night and i got so many compliments uh for seemed like forever after that match uh yeah. wherever i went to eat or you know the theater uh, people recognized me anyway because i was tall yeah. and yeah. then they would Invariably, um, most of them would say, uh, I watched you and Harley Brace in that one-hour draw, greatest wrestling match I ever saw. Wow. Uh, yeah. You know, and that's a big compliment. That's a huge compliment anytime you can get that. Absolutely. All right, listen, not only that, but in the same week, Ron, you finished the great April Super Studcast number 40 with all of the following guys on it. Here we go. Honky Tonk Man, Jim Cornette, Jerry Briscoe, Tommy Rich, Kevin Sullivan, Dutch Mantell. Mr. Olympia, Jerry Stubbs, Lord Humongous, Jeff Van Camp, of course, Les Thatcher, the great Brian Last, and your brother Robert, and even your cousin Jimmy, Bunkhouse Buck fans would know Jimmy Golden, of course. And listen, fans can still get that, that great super studcast at tnstud.com or patreon.com slash studcast. It's three plus hours, one of a kind wrestling history, only $2.99. It's the best deal in wrestling and that was a ton of fun as every one of those guys was calling in in commemoration of your upcoming 200th studcast that's another huge deal right there yeah yeah and you know and you get the credit for that one dave i got to give it to you you, you kind of uh, surprised me with that and and it was a lot of fun it's always fun to talk to all that many guys and uh, everybody's different every wrestler you ever talk to is different and they all got something different to say and it was really nice. Uh, got a lot of compliments about getting into that 200th episode, which now we are two episodes away. And in fact, uh, next week, we're going to probably talk about uh, what that episode, the 200th episode is going to be about. And we'll even uh, we'll even acknowledge the guy that that I picked his uh, picked his idea. Yeah, for I was going to say, like yeah, that. because on that 200th episode, of course, you made that offer about those. Uh, somebody who's listening can kind of pick a format for the show. So we'll, we'll know what that's going to be about in, in only a couple of weeks. Right. Yeah. Well, actually I'm going to announce it next week, who he is and, okay. uh, and okay. what gotcha. the idea for the number 200 episode is. So looking forward to that number 200, uh, that's a pretty big number and, uh, we'll see how far we go from there, man. Uh, oh, no if, doubt. If we work all the way through my entire wrestling career, uh, through, uh, <laughs> southeastern to pensacola through continental through usa yeah. my gosh man uh well i'm gonna have a i'm gonna be old with a gray beard man before we finish that <laughs> man i tell you what a whole lot of great things are happening in the studcast world right now ron all right so last week's studcast ended with a fantastic surprise an unknown masked wrestler never seen before got involved in the southeastern championship match stole the show that brings us to this week's show. So where are we riding in this one? Well, we're going to open up this one uh, with a new today's training. Going to go kind of back to the normal format, and uh, we're going to be wearing the Booker's hat, and we're going to find out how important it was to, uh, to use a world title event to build future success as in your wrestling company. And as a Booker, you definitely didn't want to lose the momentum that's created by one of these big events where you fill a building up, and if you don't prepare for it and you don't have a way to bring them back again, you could cause your company to have a potentially big loss. 
<laughs> you know, of a crowd, uh, a major crowd like it was in this one for sure, an all-time crowd record. Uh, it could dramatically affect the growth of your company if you didn't plan for what are you going to do after the world championship. And uh, then we're going to ride uh, into the first Friday night in May of 1977, back in the Coliseum again. And we're going to break down another one of those great TV shows. Then we're going to get the results from the card, the May 5th, 1977, and the attendance. And we're going to finish up the day with another learning tree question. We haven't had one in two weeks. And this one, a question a gentleman asked, uh, other than an unknown masked wrestler, my guess, Ronnie Garvin, that's the guy's mm -hmm. guess who the unmasked wrestler was, mm -hmm. returning on the world title card, who else was scheduled to arrive or return in the coming weeks to continue Southeastern's growth? Which is a great question. And it kind of fits with what I'm just talking about, how you prepare for that match. Well, you're not only preparing for that match, you're preparing for the future. And who you're bringing in and who's leaving, all of that. It has a big effect on your future when you have a wrestling company. Oh, yeah. You're, you're planting seeds in advance of, of the arrivals of, of who knows who. All right. So, obviously, it sounds like another great one, Stud. So, my horse, Mr. Pickles, and I are raring to go. Let's get on the trail. <laughs> Mr. Pickles again, man. What You have found yourself. A, this is the third week in a row, I think. Yeah. Right? You know, you, you got yourself a favorite horse now, huh? He's, he's got a good pep in his step, so I, I like Mr. Pickles. We're going to stay with Mr. Pickles for a little, little while, but, but he, is, he is getting up there in years, so just be patient with him. Well, okay. Uh, I, I, I'm, I, I won't go too fast today then, and, and just re in regard for Mr. Pickles, you know. Don't I kind of like him too, Dave, you know. And he, well, thank you. And it, and it seems like you're, you're somehow a little smarter. And he's a little quicker than the other horses have been, you know? So, uh, thanks for noticing. So, <laughs> so, so let's get to riding, man. Uh, so in this today's training, this is a perfect one to describe the situation that my brother Robert and I were here. We were kind of co-bookers here. We're working together on the book and we, we were in a situation here that we had this Harley race card and, and a lot of other championship matches included in it. And we had, gone out there and done a tremendous job. We drew an all-time record crowd for that event, uh, and it, it was critical not to lose the momentum that we had created that night. So uh, the question was, how were we going to do that? How are we going to keep that momentum? How are we going to follow a card that had broken the all-time sports event record for in the Knoxville Coliseum? And that record still stands today, 40-something years, 44 years ago. That is a couple of great questions to open a studcast with. So how did you do that? Well, we actually had an ace in the hole, Dave. We had a Canadian named Ronnie Garvin. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> yeah. and we played that ace in the hole, uh, you know, because we needed to, to just ensure that momentum wasn't going to be lost and that we would be able to come back the following Friday and draw another huge card after that big card with the, the champion. So, uh, Let's recap the Ronnie Garvin babyface turn angle quickly. You know, for those that may have forgotten how this all was pieced together, what happened with Ronnie, why he left, and why he's back. Because it's such a big part of today's card. It, it, in fact, he's on top of this card today. So if you think back, more than two months earlier, Ronnie Garvin came to Rob and I, and he had a problem in Montreal. And he said, uh, Ron, uh, I need to go home. And I said, well, Hey, we'll, we'll work with you in any way we can. How long you think that is? 
And he says, it may be forever. I don't know if I'll ever come yeah. back. Yeah, I remember you know, that. And, I, and I'm sure you remember that. Yeah. You know? And wow, what a shot and shot in the head, a kick to the face for a booker, man, when you got a top guy that comes out of nowhere. And then we ask him, you know, how long how long do we have here, man, before this happens? And he says, You got three shows, you got three weeks, and I'm gonna leave. I gotta go. Wow. So as bookers, I mean, we were obviously put behind the eight ball and uh we could just let him leave. We, you know, that we, we couldn't keep him from leaving it. You know, he needed to leave. So we could have just let him leave. We could have beat him in a Southeastern loser leave town match. And uh, he'd been gone forever. And that would have been the end of Ronnie Garvin. But uh, he told us there was a slim possibility that he might be able to return. And so, you know, that kind of forced me and Rob to come up with an alternative plan just in case he could return. We had to figure out oh, something that could, we could do that would uh, make that happen and make it make sense. So that alternative plan, then, he uh, began immediately. And just as soon as he told us, he was leaving. You know, And the alternative plan was to take him as a heel, which he was at that point, and turn him into a baby face. And the angle started on a personality profile uh, in which he was still a very hot heel. And it's just him and... Um, Les Thatcher out there, and uh, he gets interrupted in the middle of the profile by Don Carson. And Don Carson offers to take him under his wing. He offers to do his talking for him. You know, I can handle your interviews, Ronnie. You can't talk well. You know? <laughs> <laughs> and Don was. He was a little bit forward. And then he said, you know, and then you can join my friends, the Mongolian Stomper, and then Bob Orton Jr. And, uh, you know, and Ronnie turned him down right there. And that was the first step in turning Ronnie Garvin a babyface because Carson had so much heat. The mm. fact that Ronnie says, I don't want to work with you, that obviously made the fans feel a little different about Ronnie. Mm. And it turned out that Ronnie Garvin had a bad injury from his former successful tag partner, Bob Orton Jr., in the Midwest out there. And uh, Bob Orton Jr. Had turned on him a couple of years earlier, and it hurt him pretty bad. He was out of wrestling for a while. And, uh, you know, obviously, uh, Garvin didn't have any interest in being friends with Bob Borden Jr. at that point. And Garvin had also found out uh, he could do his own interviews. And, you know, after he lost Big Bad John as his mouthpiece, he found he could do his interviews without a problem. And then he certainly didn't need or, or he didn't want either to play second fiddle for the Mongolian Stomper and Don Carson. So. Carson then, as you can imagine, having known Carson and seen him for so many years down there in that tri-states area, he got insulted. <laughs> He'd been turned down, this flat turned down, right? All of a sudden, he instantly began to interfere in every one of Ronnie Garvin's matches. So Orton Jr. became a regular part of that interference. He didn't have any like for Garvin. Uh, so, and uh, actually, Carson had something to do with Orton Jr. even coming to Southeastern. So, slowly, the fans began to change their minds about Garvin. They especially changed their mind when uh, Garvin began to return that interference that he was getting in his matches and costing him victories by costing Carson, Stomper, and Orton victories. So, by March 12th of 1977, we're going back here about uh, six weeks before this World Championship match. Garvin's steady interference in the Mongolian-Carson matches had turned him into a babyface. So fans were really loving him. 
And that led to a cage match between Garvin and the Stomper on the March the 12th of 1977. And that was less than eight days before Ronnie Garvin was leaving Knoxville, potentially forever. So the next Friday night, March 19th, 1977, he faced Bob Orton Jr. in a loser leaves Southeastern match. And suddenly, one of the strongest baby faces I'd ever seen in a quick turn like that was gone from Southeastern. And with the help of both Don Carson and Mongolian Stomper helped Orton Jr. to, to send Garvin out. Uh, so Orton, Stomper, and Carson were hotter heels than ever. Ronnie Garvin, who was a big, strong babyface at that point, he was gone. So Rob and I stayed in contact with Garvin. At least we called him once a week after that to see what was going on in Montreal and how things were. And we didn't know whether he was ever going to be able to come back to return to Southeastern until two days before the Harley race match. Wow. That parade of champions night. And he called us up out of the clear blue and he says, guys, I'm coming back. I can come back. Wow. So Rob and I, we'd been desperately searching during that two weeks, during the three weeks actually preceding that match and that big card for the perfect match on that card to work a return out of, to get that big crowd back after having the world title match. Yeah. And uh, there it was. Telephone call, hung up the phone. It fell right in our laps. <laughs> we called him back in 20 minutes and said, Ronnie, we've got a plane ticket for you from Montreal to Knoxville to be here on this championship match, championship night. Wow. So as I talked about in the last studcast, the Parade of Champions, pop of the night came in that match in which Ronnie Garvin flew from Montreal in, put a mask on his face, and went out to the ring and, and you know, just drove that crowd absolutely crazy with what happened. And uh, and it happened, you know, when uh, when an unknown masked man made his first appearance in Southeastern. And uh, and when what he did, uh, I mean, not just popped the crowd, it, it took the roof off that Coliseum. Wow, it was unbelievable. So this follow-up event after the Harley race cart had its main event set. And it made both Rob and I feel very good about the potential crowd for this May the 5th, 1977 card we're going to be talking about today. Wow. All right. So I, I remember the studcast many weeks ago where you and Robert were kind of cons- well, obviously very concerned that Ronnie Garvin was going to be gone for good. So, and, and I want to ask you, maybe you can't answer because you were, you were Garvin's boss at the time. And it sounds personal. The reason that he was had to go back to Montreal and might not come back. But, but is there anything that you can tell us now? And maybe you maybe you can't break a confidence on that. And, and I do understand. Well, you know, I, I don't like to get any guys personal things, you know. Uh, and he he did have a personal problem, uh, and and he 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 divulged that all that we told us everything that was going on. He was very honest about it, you know. But. Uh, I don't feel good about uh, saying what it was, but uh, he did have a really big problem and uh, he could have just as easily end up having to stay there as it turned out that he was able to come back. So, uh, no, I felt uh, we just were just, uh, wow. On top of the world, man, uh, knowing what we were going to give those people on that championship (laughs) night. Oh, no doubt. And it had to be killing him to leave to go back to Canada when he had to break the word to, to Robin you because he was over about as big as, as over can be at the time. Yeah. 
Yeah, he was on fire. He was uh, probably the top baby face at that point. Yeah. And uh, really, really, uh, you know, might have given him that title shot. Had he not come and said that, he was getting so hot that might have given him the shot at Harley rather yeah. than me. Wow. You know, but when he came and told me he was leaving, I mean, obviously that was the end of that. You yeah. couldn't consider that anymore. But uh, yeah, he was really, really uh, on fire territory. That's no for sure. All right, you brought up the card of May 5th, 1977, the week after the Harley race card. So is that where we're going to be riding next? Uh, yes, sir. You're, you, you and Mr. Pickles are really becoming a hot pair, man. I'm telling you, both moving along in the right direction, you know, so. This that's exactly where we're riding next. So let's discuss that May the fifth, nineteen seventy-seven Coliseum card, and the opening match that night was Rip Smith, and uh, he wasn't even on the big card the week before. Uh, he came and watched the matches, but as every good young talent, he learned probably more that night than what he'd learned maybe in his career up to that point by seeing that much talent and uh, and seeing all those matches. He wrestled a guy named the Eliminator on the May the 5th. Tony Charles returned for his just third weekend since he had been in Southeastern against a guy named Jack Evans. Bob Armstrong wrestled against Norvell Austin. There was a Southeastern Tag Championship match with the champion Von Steiger Brothers wrestling against Robert Knight. And uh, there was a loser leaves Southeastern match between Jimmy Golden and Bob Orton Jr which was a really strong match on that card. These are two really quality guys and a lot of stake in this for these boys. And the masked man from the Harley race night, uh, Mr. Knoxville, was in a special event match, obviously, with the Mongolian Stomper. Then there was another match. We didn't take any chances, Rob and I. That would have been enough, maybe, you know. But uh, we thought, let's add more to it. So we put on top of the card... Uh, the, as the last event, a 14-man elimination match, $5,000 going to winner. And uh, for those people out there that have never seen one of these, uh, I'll explain kind of very quickly what that match is all about. They select, uh, there's 14 guys that go to the ring. They select two men uh, before the wrestlers go to the ring in the dressing room that's going to start the match. And, um, you know, uh, whoever gets pinned or submits goes to the dressing room. And whoever beat him gets to pick his next opponent. He looks around at all the guys on the floor and he points him out. And that guy comes into the ring and then they go at it. And oh, then wow. whoever wins picks his next opponent. Whoever loses goes to the dressing. The match obviously continues until only one guy has been in there that hasn't been beaten. And he's the guy that's going to win the money. So it's one on one all the way through and somebody's eliminated. Then you pick somebody else. That's it. Wow. Okay. Pretty simple, but it's a really great match because it lasts normally a long time and it requires everybody to lose, Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. So, you know, and you don't, you don't see that very often. So, uh, you know, <laughs> I think it helped that card to be a big success. Oh, no doubt. And you quickly determine who is one of the baddest, uh, baddest dudes in this whole organization. So that's a, a quick way of finding that out too. So anyway, that's another great card right there, Ryan. So, but it seems like I missed Don Carson's name. Was he on the card? Cause uh, I don't remember him being mentioned. Well, you know, uh, you're pretty sharp again there, man. You know, he was not on the card and uh, you know, and as far as Don Carson, 
there's a huge surprise uh, around Don Carson that's going to be coming up next. It's actually going to be in the TV show that we're going to be talking about today. And I will we'll explain then uh, where Don Carson is. All right, Stud. So let's take a look at that TV show. Saturday, April 30th, 1977, the TV two days after the huge Harley race crowd. Because as you recall, that was a Thursday night for that entire incredible parade of champions with you and Harley race. That was on a Thursday night, which is a little unusual. Yeah, uh, very unusual. It's always a Friday night town, Knoxville. It had been that way for many, many years. We had to go on a Thursday. And uh, gosh, we might have done better than we could have done on the Friday. I don't know. You know, if we'd have done it or if we'd have run on Friday, we might have turned away uh, more people than what we did. So yeah. It might have been a mistake to go on the Friday. So this is another one of those TVs, man, that kind of like last week's TV that had everything on it, Dave. I mean, including this one's got several surprises on it. Uh, so much had happened in the two days before this TV uh, on that Harley race card. Uh, we'd recorded so much video that night that there was no way we were going to be able to get it all on this one show. It was a very difficult decision as a booker as to what videos are we going to use in this TV. So, and uh, so the TV show and, uh, you know, and all the repercussions and all the things that happened in that tremendous uh, parade of champions night, it just made it difficult to decide we got all this video. What are we going to do with it? So first thing I decided is we're going to change the format. And instead of uh, doing the ordinary opening with less running down the card for the TV, we had too many surprises for that huge audience sitting out there at home that didn't see the event. I didn't want less to give away the card, you know, and to give away the TV show before they, before they even got to the beginning of the show at all. <laughs> so uh, we dealt with all this news that we had for these fans in small little pieces and small bites, let's call them for the TV audiences, you know, at home so that they could grasp everything that happened two days earlier in this big monster event. So we opened the show with a shot of the massive crowd behind Les uh, at the desk. Uh, in fact, the Les wasn't even in the photograph. It was the massive crowd, and, uh, you know, the audio was there. Besides the crowd, the ring was in the middle of the photo, uh, obviously the middle of the video, and both Harley and I were laying face down on the mat and you could hear that huge crowd just roaring, man. It's right in the last 20 seconds of the match. And the crowd noise was so loud that the announcer was saying that the match was, a, as soon as the bell rang, that the match was officially a 60-minute time limit draw, and you couldn't hear him uh, over the roar of that crowd. Wow. So, so Les, when Les and I then were on the set, but we said nothing during this intro this kind of an unusual intro and there was no way anything we were going to say was going to have more impact than that shot had and just the roar of that big massive crowd and when the cameras opened to less than i the director you know backed up as usual and uh the director upstairs backed the video up to the last three minutes of the match and i was at that point in the last three minutes of this match pretty much in control of harley and I kept uh, slamming him. I kept suplexing him. I powerbombed him one time. And he kept kicking out every time I did it and every time I covered him. 
And uh, Les remarked, uh, you know, during the course of this uh, three-minute segment that, that it was one of the best NWA title matches he'd ever seen. The studio crowd uh, showed their agreement when he said that. With a big round of applause, the video ended with both Harley and I being carried from the ring. Wow. We, we neither one walked to the dressing room. It was a struggle. It was a really, really tough match. So I was about to leave the set, and then Les stopped me, and he goes, wait, 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 Ron. Uh, we had a video that arrived this morning, and I wanted you to watch it with me before you leave the set here. So I said, okay, I'll be glad to do that. I sat back down with him, and uh, then he says, it's from Terry Funk, Ron. Oh, really? Okay. <laughs> so, you know, Terry, and Terry, as usual, well, you know, he had his gripe. He was upset that I had not beaten Harley. <laughs> and, he, and he criticized not only me, but also Southeastern for not choosing him for the shot to begin with. Uh, and, then he, and then he had to throw in, even though Ron Fuller did beat me, you know, uh, I still would have beaten Harley, you know. And he claimed, you know, he was a lot tougher than I was. And that Southeastern and I had not seen the last of him. <clears throat> so let's ask me what I thought about that. <laughs> so. I told him I didn't pay any attention anymore to Terry Funk. I said, you know, that, that he had his chance to face Harley and he failed to beat me for that chance. And, uh, and, you know, and I said, I told Les, I said, uh, you know, Terry Funk may be king in Texas, but I said, when he comes here to Tennessee, he's a queen to me. Yeah. <laughs> and, and the studio pop, well, they love that, you know, so. We we made a little bit of it, uh, you know. Terry got his got his got seen on another show, basically. So Von Steiger Brothers, about the time I left the set, you know, and then I didn't leave the set. I I just stayed there with Les. Then you know, I said, well, heck, I've already sat here for this, you know. And the Von Steiger Brothers hit the studio, and they were just really really strutting out there with their recently uh, re re won southeastern belts that they had lost earlier in the week. Now they got them back on. You know, so Les said, you know, Ron, why don't you stay with me for this? And then Rob came out and he joined us at the set because me and Rob are going to be wrestling those Von Steigers the following Friday night for the Southeastern Championship. So they were in the ring and they have, as usual, they punished their opponents pretty well, man. And they, But they spent maybe more time paying attention to Rob and I at the set than they were the wrestlers in the ring. And uh, we gave the devil their dues while this match was going on. We talked about their impressive win two nights earlier over Tommy Rich and Bill Dundee, who had taken the belts from New Memphis on a Monday night. And then on a Thursday night, they re-won them in Knoxville. And we covered the fact that the state of Tennessee in 1977, in this time frame, both sides of the states had some of the greatest wrestlers in the world there, man. We were really cranked on the eastern side of the state and Memphis, and that territory was on fire on the western side. The Von Steigers won again, and they used their German backbreakers, uh, you know, their, their Boston crabs, but <laughs> they call them their German backbreaker. And they went into Studio B for the first <laughs> interview. And Rob and I stayed at the set, naturally. We'd been there already, so we stayed. And they bragged about winning back their belts, as they called them, their belts, you know, our belts, you know, uh, so for another, uh, you know, and they said, we, we won it from another weak American team yeah. on the other side of the state, <laughs> over there in Memphis, you know. 
So then they gave us absolutely no chance of beating them the following Friday for the championship. That was their that was their summation of what's going to happen. And so Rob and I we plugged not only the tag the tag title match, which was a real opportunity for us to be Southeastern tag champions again. We also plugged one of the first ever elimination matches in Southeastern history. And coming the next Friday, we really quickly explained how that match worked and the whole deal. And that $5,000 was very difficult to win in that type of match because it was a grueling and a long match. And whoever won it going to earn every penny of it. So the Germans were still on the split screenshot with us when we were finishing this interview. We're on one side of the screen. They're on the other. They talk. You could see us. When we talk, you could see them. You know, and uh, so when they finished, we kind of finished with that interview. You know, I asked the studio crowd if they'd like to help me out. Would you guys like to salute the Von Steigers? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> boy, they jumped up, the whole studio crowd, boy. And uh, they, they all give them the old up your salute, man. And, uh, boy, the Germans went berserk. It's the end of the deal. Everybody had a lot of fun, though. The studio loved it. Me and Rob laughed about it. The Germans didn't like it much, but uh, it was a good way to end the interview. So, <laughs> next segment of the show featured the two wrestlers and the loser leaves Southeastern match on the following Friday. Bob Orton Jr. got the studio angry. All he had to do was just enter the building. <laughs> they hated him. He just was such a smug punk, you know, and uh, and he was really, really getting some tremendous heat at this point. And Jimmy Golan, you know, joined less at the set. So, Orton, man, he he kind of, to me, he dazzled the studio with some really terrific wrestling moves, which, you know, he was really better at than most Teals had any any knowledge of wrestling. They they were nowhere near he, where he was. But the studio audience wasn't impressed. But I guarantee you that some of those wrestlers who were watching on the monitors in the back, they picked up on it. He said, geez, man, look at this. Orton can wrestle. Yeah. Yeah, so man. Orton finished his opponent. With this same move as always, as dangerous and as diabolical backbreaker, man. And uh, after the young wrestler submitted, Orton dropped him on his head like a bad habit. And then he pointed to Golan, who's sitting at the set with Les, as if to say, you're next Friday night. This is, see this guy? That's you. <laughs> Friday night. So Orton went in the studio B for the next interview, and Golan was still with Les at the set. Orton reminded the studio crowd that Golden couldn't beat Nelson Royal a couple of nights earlier, that if he had been in that match, he would be the new world junior heavyweight champion today on that day. He also reminded them that this was his second loser leave Southeastern match in six weeks. And he says, that tells me that the people, the officials of Southeastern here don't like me. You know, because, he goes, they're trying to get rid of me, you know, and, uh, you know, and he goes, I've already run Ronnie Garvin out of here, and now I'm going to run Jimmy Golan out of it. So then it was Jimmy's turn, and he reminded Orton that he had beaten him right in the middle of the ring just nine days ago to earn that shot at Nelson Royal. And then he brought up the fact that he, too, had been uh, in quite a few loser leave Southeastern matches since he came here. He had been here almost two years straight, Jimmy, at this point. And he said, look at me. I'm still here, Les. He goes, you know, this is just another loser leave to me. I'm going to beat him, and he's gone. So the fans loved what Jimmy had to say. And, uh, man, the two of those guys, they, they set the show down for six days later. 
Okay, so I think it's a good place for a break. Let's do that. There's a lot more action to come in this particular TV show as this podcast continues. And when we return, Mr. Knoxville will be next live on the personality profile. This studcast will continue. Stay with us right here. Every fan needs some great old school wrestling on DVDs to recall for yourself what it was all about. Preserve history. Show your children, grandchildren, friends, or neighbors what real wrestling looked like. No better example exists than the classic Southeastern and Continental Territories produced in the 1980s. Twelve tremendous hours on five DVDs. Get them now at TNStud.com. Click Stud Store and find stars they made famous like Sterling Golden. He became Hulk Hogan. Punk Rock Ferris became the Honky Talk Man. Jerry Stubbs became Mr. Olympia. Lord Humongous was created. The famous Armstrong family, Fullers, Riches, Sheep Herders, Arn Anderson, Paul Orndorff, Austin Idol, Kevin Sullivan, Dutch Mantel, Michael Hayes, Terry Gordy, Mr. Wrestling 2, Joe LaDuke, Jacques Rougeau, Dr. Tom Pritchard, Dirty White Boy. The list is endless. 67 matches in all, only $39.99, and that includes shipping. Get it now at TNStud.com. Click Stud Store and own your precious piece of wrestling history. Welcome back. Another Studcast. David Summers here co-hosting with the Tennessee Stud, Ron Fuller. And don't forget, TNStud.com. That is the home of the Stud on the World Wide Web. TNStud.com. Every Studcast, every Super Studcast available right there. T-shirts available there. The DVDs you've been hearing us talk about, they're available right there with free shipping on those DVDs. Hey, check it out at tnstud.com. All right, Stud, back into the second segment of the program. And I've been looking forward to this upcoming personality profile, Ron. Since you talked about the match, the masked man was involved in the last Studcast. Let's hear about that. Okay, so here we go, Dave. This personality profile, this one's going to be live. And now, you know, studio crowd is going to really love this one. Uh, Les opened it up by himself. He told everybody that he wanted to show them what happened two nights earlier in the Coliseum before he brought out the mask man that caused all the mayhem. So the video started with Carson, presumably having set up his stomper to win the match. You know, they picks up where, you know, you see what's happened. And, uh, you know, he had knocked out Robert with his loaded glove. He pulled Rob over to where the stomper was laying, uh, you know, and and the stomper was laying down next to the referee who had gotten run into by the stomper. And he put the stomper on top of Rob and he left the ring. He stepped out of the ring, Carson, assuming that this is a done deal. You know, ref, roll over there and count him out and we're going home. And then suddenly a mass wrestler appeared at ringside and a huge crowd went silent in the video. This big, massive crowd in the Coliseum, they didn't know what to saw. Who is that? What's going on here? So they, they was kind of quiet in the building. So the mask guy, he comes up behind Carson. Carson doesn't see him, but obviously everybody else in the Coliseum just about can see him. And he taps Carson on the shoulder. He taps him twice. Carson doesn't even turn around the first time. He shrugs it off. And then the second time when he turns around, uh, he gets a mouthful of fists from this this past guy. <laughs> so, uh, you know, there's a small pop in the building. Anytime somebody's going to hit Don Carson in the mouth, the fans are going to like it. 
you know, yep. So yep. there was a little pop, but they still don't know what the, what is this all about. And then the masked man, he grabbed Carson up and he ran him down the side of the ring and he, he posted him and what we call posting the guy. He ran him head first into that steel ring post. And uh, wow, a little bigger pop on this one. They liked that even better than the fist, you know. And the studio crowd was watching all this on the TV monitors in the studio, which were there were several of them in the studio. And they started to react into it right away. And many of them had been to the Coliseum two nights earlier, and uh, they were seeing this for the second time. So they know what's coming. But all those people at home that weren't in that Coliseum and couldn't get in that Coliseum because it was sold out, they've yet to see what happened in the rest of this. So after running Carson into the ring post, the masked guy got up on the apron of the ring, and he slowly climbed up to the top rope. And the Coliseum crowd... As he's climbing to the top rope, the crowd began to rumble a little bit. It's kind of like they're beginning to see it. Wait, wait a minute. We've seen this before, <laughs> you know, one of those deals. And, uh, and then when he got on the top rope and he turned his head in all directions, he took his time. He's standing on the top rope, nobody up there but him. And he looks at the much of the building as he can. And uh, they, the crowd's intensity rises just a little bit more. You can hear a little bit bigger rumble in the place. And then when he raised those arms, man, high above his head, uh, wow, that building got on its feet. And everybody in there got think, figured it out at the same time. No doubt. And the God knows. Look at this. Who is that? I know who it is. And boy, when he soared off that top rope like an eagle, man, and landed with that big knee across the back of the stomper's neck, that building exploded. It was the biggest pop of the night, undoubtedly. Maybe the, one of the biggest pops ever in that building, period. And a uh, stomper rolled off of Robert, and the masked man <laughs> crawled over and, uh, and, and put Rob on top of the stomper, and he pulled the referee over to where he could count him out. And he left the ring, and not just the ring, he left the building. He went through the back curtain, and he was gone. And the referee counted the stomper out, and he raised Rob's hand. Uh, the studio erupted, but wow, the crowd in the video, <laughs> they overwhelmed the studio, I can tell you that. It was it was huge. And as, as Rob had promised the Saturday before on TV, when he left the ring, now, on that Thursday night that he was going to be the new Southeastern champion, and by golly, he was. So less at that point brought out the fact that Don Carson was injured badly when he hit that steel ring post in the video, that he had suffered a severe concussion and he was still in the hospital. This was two days later, and uh, no one knew if or when he was going to be able to return. So fans loved that. You know, they they had they got a little nice little uh, cheer out of that, and then Les brought in the new mask man that had just been seen in the video. And the mask man was wearing a white mask, and he took the empty seat that uh, there's always there for the personality profile. He took the one that no one was sitting in. Les is doing this by himself, and Les welcomed him, and he didn't even say anything. He just shook his head, and Les got right to the point. As <laughs> Les is inclined to do so he he asked the masked man if he was a wrestler and uh mm -hmm. and the masked guy uh shook his head yes yeah 
So Les, uh, you know, he, he he dug right on in, man. Okay. So he says, uh, are you Ronnie Garvin? <laughs> right? I mean, Les, Les, Les is not going to beat around the bush, you know. And, and I'm sure fans at this point were eager to hear him to speak because he had a similar build to Garvin, you know. But uh, they're waiting on that first word out of his mouth. You know? <laughs> so and he, when Les asked him, are you Ronnie Garvin? You know, he, he he began to speak and and wow, the, the first words out of his mouth, that studio crowd just erupted, man. They they knew it. You know, it certainly seemed to be uh, Ronnie Garvin. You know, he didn't say, yes, I am Ronnie Garvin. But, uh, you know, they judged by that uh, definite French Canadian accent that he had. And then he answered with and then he, you know, his answer was, uh, no, I'm not Ronnie Garvin but I'm very close to him. <laughs> so, you know, so Les asked, are you a relative? And uh, he answered no. And he said again, I'm just very close to him. So Les asked why then, if, if you're not Ronnie Garvin, did you do what you did two nights earlier? You know, if you're not Garvin, what, what, what's the deal here? Why are you here? And uh, and so his answer was, he said, because I'm a good friend to Ronnie and he asked me to come down here for him and takes care of some bad people that needed it. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> and the studio crowd loved that. They popped, man. And uh, they were already convinced of who it was. And, uh, and they were responding with cheers about everything at this point. So Les asked why Ronnie Garvin didn't come down here himself. And the masked man answered that Ronnie told him that he had lost a match down here where he wasn't allowed here anymore. So Ronnie asked me, the guy says, to come down here and take care of it for him. So the profile is already running pretty long at this point. Had that extended video in it where, where it began with. And the, and the guest really didn't seem inclined to talk too much. So let's ask him a final question. And he says, uh, what do you call yourself? And uh, he he looked uh, at the audience and, the, you know, they're right there in the studio. You can see them all. And he answered very simply, uh, you can call me Mr. Knoxville. <laughs> and, and the crowd popped again, boy. And uh, that's all they needed to see in here. Their hero had returned. It, sa- it sounds like this Mr. Mr. Knoxville, whoever it was was going to do some damage in Southeastern run. Well, that was for sure. You know, I mean, he already had Don Carson still in the hospital. <laughs> so he's already started to do some damage, you know, and, uh, you know, that's just the first time they've seen him and, uh, Don Carson is gone. Uh, so, you know, it's, yeah, he's going to, he's going to be a force to be reckoned with. Oh, no doubt. All right. So I'm wondering what's next. And then I imagine there was going to be some, some upset heels, over this Mr. Knoxville. Well, well, you and your horse, man, you're just getting wiser and faster, man. I'm telling you, you're, you're absolutely on it, man. And, uh, and yeah, some harassers were definitely not happy. I'd have to say that. And, uh, in fact, all hell broke loose as soon as this personality profile was over. So, you know, Les had to return to the set real quickly. There's no commercial breaks after the profile. And uh, as soon as he got to the set, he was met there by the Mongolian stomper who was scheduled to be in the ring and by Bob Orton Jr. 
who both had charged out onto the set immediately. And as soon as this profile was over and Stomper was making some kind of crazy grunting noises, you couldn't tell what he, what he was trying to get through. But Orton was trying to scream over top of him. Orton was going to do the talking. So Orton was shouting, you know, and he's screaming, you know, who runs this company? Uh, didn't Ronnie Garvin lose a loser leave Southeastern match to me? That's Ronnie Garvin. What in the hell is going on here? You know, he said, what is he back here uh, for? And and yeah. he, he wearing a mask. I mean, you know, the question just kept flying and flying, you know. And he said, I want to see an official Southeastern guy right now. I want somebody to come out here and talk to me and, and the stomper. So uh, Les tried to control him, obviously. Uh, but he wasn't having much luck. Stomper's still grunting around, man, and pushing and shoving and, and Orton screaming. And uh, then something very, very strange happened. I mean, no one expected this. A new guy. A new face comes out from the dressing room, and uh, he's he's dressed not in wrestling gear. He's dressed in this funky-looking stuff, really, a man. It's an orange, and uh, it's an outfit that has all these colors in it, and he's got the same color uh, as his outfit, a little hat on his head that matches his outfit. And he seemed to – but when he got to the set, he seemed to have a little bit of instant control over the two of them. Orton kind of got quiet and Stomper kind of slowed back too, right? And so Les recognized that, you know, the guy. <laughs> he recognized him as a wrestler he had seen years ago in the Carolinas, and his name was Gorgeous George Jr. Really? And he was he was said to be the son of the most famous and wealthy wrestler of all time, Gorgeous George. And no one ever made more money in wrestling than Gorgeous George. Uh, he was a phenomena, and uh, wherever he went, he sold out everywhere he ever went. And so gorgeous George Jr., he takes control of the situation, I mean, very quickly. And he sends Bob Orton Jr. immediately back to the dressing room. And then he starts to calm the stop. Hey, it's okay. It's okay. And then gorgeous George Jr. apologizes to Les for what's just happened. So Les invites him to stay on the set. Because he wants to learn more about, hey, what's going on here? You know, what's the deal? You know, and you know everybody's already announced that you know Carson's in the hospital. You know, what's going on here? So the the stomper calmed down a little bit more, and uh, and Gigi, as that's kind of short for Gorgeous George Jr. Everybody called him Gigi. Mm-hmm. You know, and so Gigi uh, was known. Uh, you know, and he, you know he he sat he sat down there and had a seat by Les. So it was almost as if another personality profile is going to begin at this point. Les asked Gigi, uh, what, what, what are you doing here in Southeastern wrestling, you know? And so Les t- said, you know, the last time I saw you or heard of you was about six years ago. And, I, and then I heard you retired from wrestling. So Gigi confirmed that I was a fact. And uh, he said, yes, I did retire for a short time. And then I missed my wrestling. And he said, then I had uh, recently, I had a brilliant idea and I decided to spend my father's fortune by buying wrestlers and managing them. Why not? Mm. Who knows more about wrestling than me and my father? Let's ask him why. Why here in Southeastern then? What are you doing here? So Gigi says that upon hearing what happened to Don Carson on Thursday night, he said, I got on a plane from Los Angeles and I flew to Knoxville. Because I wanted to obtain control of the one of the best wrestlers on earth, the Mongolian Stomper. 
He said, I've been looking at the stomper for years. And when he heard about the unfortunate accident, he called it, that injured Don Carson, he said, seemed like a perfect time for me to make my move and finally procured the perfect wrestling specimen. <laughs> so, so he continued. And, you know, telling Les he had no idea why Bob Orton Jr. and the Stomper was so upset with that mass wrestler on the show there a minute ago. He goes, I know nothing about Southeastern wrestling before yesterday. And he goes, or any of its wrestlers. You know, he says, I'm only interested in the Mongolian Stomper, and I plan on making him the next world champion. So Les realized, obviously, the segment's running pretty long, and the Stomper, who was supposed to be in the ring at the beginning, Hadn't even got to the ring yet. So he says, well, are you going to be controlling the stomper, managing the stomper? And Gigi says, yes, I am. And he says, well, I'd like to hear your story, but I don't have time right now. Maybe we can get you on next week's personality profile. But would you mind taking your stomper to the ring? He's supposed to be in the ring wrestling. So Gigi's very nice and polite. He says, absolutely, Lester. He calls (laughs) (laughs) Obviously, that's going to be his his pet name for Les, mm-hmm. you know, he says, absolutely, Lester. He says, uh, he sh- so he shoveled off the stomper to the ring, and uh, it became very clear that the stomper's attitude in the ring for this match, though, had become much more dangerous than when he went to the ring with Don Carson. And it was hard to tell it if it was because of the arrival of Mr. Knoxville or whether it was all about gorgeous George Jr. But after a quick punishing win, Gigi jumped up in the ring, and he raised his stomper's hand. Boy, he had a grin from ear to ear, man. And uh, and when they passed the set on the way back to the dressing room before Les closed the segment, he spoke to Les and he apologized again. He said, uh, I want to apologize again, Lester, for the interruption. Won't happen again. <laughs> <laughs> Very calm. And nothing yeah. like Carson. Yeah. All right. So you're not kidding about this. This guy's obviously, as you said, totally different from Don Carson. So, and he has an air of class with some of his father's traits about him. And maybe he was even going to bring a more violent style to the stomper in the process. I don't know. What do you think? Well, well, Mr. Pickles, man, is making you right, Dave. I'm telling you, that's a pretty astute observation there, man. Uh, heck yes. I, I think what happened here is obviously, you know, gorgeous George Jr. has a lot of his father in him. Uh, he also has a lot of class about him. You know, then Don Carson was not a real classy dude. You know, so, yeah, he's, he's about as far from class sometimes <laughs> as you could get. So, you know, uh, yeah, this gorgeous George Jr., was going to elevate the Stompers game, man, considerably. That that's that was the first impression. Yeah. And then speaking of elevating the game, Mr. Knoxville was on the last match of the day. So Ronnie Garvin had been extremely tough on wrestlers when he was there, but this Mr. Knoxville was going to be absolutely off the charts. I mean, it's like he watched that Stomper match, and he was like, gosh, I'm going to take it up a level too. So, you know, he pounded the, his opponent so badly that I think they could hear the blows from downtown Knoxville, man. Uh, you know, that's a couple of miles away. And uh, when he jumped off the top rope and dropped that knee in his opponent's throat, I swear it looked like his back actually touched the roof of that studio, man. He was higher than I had ever seen anybody do that before. Wow. 
And I don't know if the fans felt the difference in the stomper and the extreme violence that they saw in Mr. Knoxville, but boy, I sure did. I mean, business was really going to get serious the next Friday night, I said, after watching that. Man, that's a great TV show, Ron. So the deal is I can't wait to see what happened the following Friday night now that you got this thing built up. Well, you you ain't going to have to wait long, Dave. Uh, Let's talk about it right now. All right. Rip Smith, he eliminated the Eliminator. He he took care of the Eliminator. Uh, Tony Charles made a huge impression on fans. Again, this time it's a monster crowd that saw it. He, He got a quick win against a really greatly overmatched Jack Evans. I mean, Tony Charles is in a he's in a class of his own. Bob Armstrong, like the Stomper and Mr. Knoxville on this TV show, uh, <laughs> came for business on that Friday night, man. I mean, he started his evening with a big win over Norvell Austin, and he jacked Norvell's jaw with one of those big right hands, and he wasn't finished by a long shot for the mm-hmm. night. Uh, Rob and I won the Southeastern tag match, but we won by disqualification. So the Von Steigers again left the ring as champions, but uh, they sure didn't look like champions. We didn't make them look like champions. They just they squeaked out of there with their belts, basically. And the fans were extremely upset for the next one uh, to see Jimmy Golden lose the loser leaves Southeastern match against Bob Orton Jr. And the worst part of that was the way Orton applied his backbreaker, won it, and then the way he dropped Jimmy on his head. Golden had to be carried out on his last match in Southeastern, which is not a good way Mm. to go away from a company on a stretcher. And Bob Orton Jr., he was just becoming almost unbeatable at this point. Uh, The Stompers match with Mr. Knoxville was wild. That's the only way I can just absolutely why. <laughs> I mean, uh, it was all over the building. Uh, the stomper was a bloody mess. Gosh, he was bleeding so bad. And the match was stopped. Uh, both men were disqualified. Uh, one referee got knocked down. The second referee got knocked down. The first one rang the bell. The second one rang the bell. I mean, and it didn't stop. Uh, they just fought uh, Mr. Knoxville and the stomper. They fought all over the building. And finally, back to the Stompers dressing room. So then the last match of the night, the $5,000 14-man elimination, ended up being just a 13-man match because Jimmy Golden obviously wasn't able to come and wrestle in that match. Uh, Bob Armstrong and the Eliminators' names had been drawn in the dressing room before the match started to, to be the guys to start the match. And before it even began, <laughs> the match wasn't even started yet. Mr. Knoxville attacked Stomper outside the ring because they're all around the ring. And he went through the ring and then dived on the Stomper on the floor on the outside. And all hell broke loose again, man. Then there was a small battle roar because you got all these guys out there. Everybody's trying to pull guys apart. It was just like a little battle roar going on there. <laughs> and, uh, you know, the <laughs> and the Stomper and the, and Mr. Knoxville are just fighting into the crowd. It was just out of control. And uh, and so Gigi uh, kind of just quickly just uh, kind of sashayed on out of there, man, right back to the dressing room. Like, uh, I don't want no part of this, you know. And, uh, so, and the referee tossed both men out, uh, out of the elimination match. He just oh. said, hey, you, y'all are out. <laughs> I'm not going to let you compete anymore. So after all of that beginning and all that action, it finally settled down. 
Bob Armstrong went to work. In that I place. knew it. Uh, yeah, I knew it. Oh, man. He beat the Eliminator in just a few seconds. And then he started, because he was able to pick who his next guy was going to be, he started selecting the remaining heels on the floor. One at a time, he brought them in, and he eliminated them. He brought in Jack Evans. He brought in Norvell Austin. He brought in Carl Bostiger. I mean, he was just bang, 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 bang. And ultimately, he won the whole deal. He won the entire match and the money. All right, so kind of set this, the, the stage for that. Were the guys in an area out with the crowd, or was ju- there just a list that Bob would have been picking from? How did What did that look like? No, they surround the ring. They're Everybody goes the to the okay, ring. Okay, okay, okay. Everybody goes to the ring. They surround the ring. They're right there within the three feet of the ring. And uh, when you win, you beat somebody. You just point out who you want. Right. And, uh, okay. and if he doesn't come in, yeah. if he decides to go to the dressing room, then he's eliminated, obviously, yeah. and you yeah. make another pick, you know? Yeah. And if you get beat, <laughs> then you go to the dressing room. So, you right. know, Bob was just cranked. Bob was cranked. I mean, absolutely yeah. cranked, uh, you know, and, and it, it was it showed from the very first match where he jacked old Norvell's jaw, man. Wow. <laughs> he put him, put him in outer space, and uh, then he just, in this match, he was not to be denied. He just walked through that elimination match and uh, and took the money home. Wow. All right, so this sounds like another huge night for Southeastern fans. What was the attendance like for this one, Ron? Another big night? Well, as I pointed out earlier in the studcast, it was very important for the attendance to not have this huge drop after that big Parade of Champions show, uh, you know, the week before. And thankfully, it didn't. And as a matter of fact, it was just about the, close to the, the figure from the week before. It was another full building, and, uh, and it was a, it's right at 6,000 fans again. Wow. So, you know, after what fans have seen on this card and the fact that Tor Tanaka and Terry Funk are both on the next card, I felt like we were going to definitely maintain our momentum. From that Harley race night. <laughs> Man, <laughs> I'm kind of, I'm kind of, I'm kind of hedging my bets here, man. I mean, you, I, I got a good card. I got a good crew. I got a wild Mr. Knoxville and <laughs> I'm going to throw Terry Funk and Tora Tanaka on the next one. Yeah. Terry, Terry Funk and Tora Tanaka, both on the next card. So obviously you were very serious about the, the continuing growth of your company at this point, Ron. All right, so I can't wait to find out what the next week's card is going to be. Why don't we get a cold drink? Let's take a seat under the learning tree, Ron. So tell us what the the question was and who asked it. Set it up again. All right, so uh, Jeff Jeff Simons asked, uh, other than Ronnie Garvin, Mr. Knoxville, he calls him, you know, or whatever you want to call him, he writes in his note, uh, returning on the Parade of Champions Night, who else was scheduled to arrive or return in the next few weeks to continue Southeastern's growth? So uh, thanks, Jeff, for the question. It's really an extremely appropriate question during this time frame. So I just gave a part of your question away a few minutes ago, just a second ago. But uh, I was very committed, obviously, to, to continue the growth of Southeastern. I didn't want this to be the biggest it's ever going to be. You know, uh, and it was really, really important. So 
in next week's studcast, Terry Funk's going to return after criticizing me in this studcast for not defeating Harley Race. And it's not going to be the last time Terry's going to return. Hmm. Uh, Tor Tanaka, who uh, you know, we're just talking about some of these people. Obviously, Terry Funk's coming back. Uh, Mr. Simon Tor Tanaka, who is a very popular Southeastern star. Great baby face. He's coming back. He's going to be there for two weeks in a row. And he loved it in Southeastern. And he's going to come back to Southeastern many times in the future. Uh, Jerry Lawler, another guy. Is going to be on more events as part of this continuing swap between Southeastern and Jerry Jarrett mm-hmm. and my father's Memphis territory. And, uh, and uh, it was my plan to help him as much as possible. They're in a war against Nick Goulas. And, uh, so, you know, Jerry Lawler is going to be, uh, somewhat a little bit of a regular for us. Another huge star in more ways than one is about to make his first appearance ever in Southeastern. Joe LaDuke, the Canadian lumberjack, is going to leave an unforgettable mark on Southeastern wrestling. He is going to rock Southeastern wrestling. And uh, and there's an up-and-coming tag team from the Memphis Territory that's going to soon make its first appearance ever in Southeastern. Uh, That's Dennis Condry and Phil Hickerson. And uh, they're both uh, becoming a very strong team in Memphis. And in the distant future, those two guys, Condry and Hickerson are going to become a power in Southeastern under the management of guess who, Dave? Ron Wright. Uh-uh. <laughs> yes, sir. And he's going to have him a, a an ass-kicking team. <laughs> yeah, he's, no doubt. Yeah. He's going to be doing some business and, uh, and a great star. Uh, another person here, uh, Mr. Simons, uh, a great star from the Georgia Territory is going to arrive soon. Another mask heel. And this guy is named the pro, and he's about 280-pounder. Doug Gilbert, a very respected wrestler man, a tremendous talent, and he's going to basically rule the underneath cards uh, in Southeastern as long as he's there. And another famous Georgia star, Mr. Wrestling number one, Tim Woods, is going to be making an appearance pretty quickly in Southeastern. And a future star is going to arrive in the middle of the summer. He's just basically a young guy. It's one of the first territories he ever works. He's going to begin his illustrious career with us in Southeastern, and he's going to get his wings there. His name was Sylvester Ritter. You know, and after Sylvester leaves Southeastern, he's going to go to Mid-South Wrestling, and he's going to become the biggest star ever for them. He's going to change his name. He's going to become the junkyard dog. Yep. Yeah, wow. So. Then, Mr. Simons, last but not least, NWA champion Harley Race. After that discussion that he and I had following the title match in the Coliseum there, just me and him, he's going to return to defend his title only eight weeks after he defended it against me, uh, rather than the normal 26 weeks later, which we had been getting the champion twice a year. Now he comes back eight weeks later after this big championship match. So I guess Sam much that got Harley's message, in a sense, <laughs> obviously. So I hope you got the answers you wanted, Mr. Simons. And uh, we were working extremely hard to keep Southeastern as an improving wrestling company. Well, you know what? I think you've done it again, Ron. No wonder your studcast have become the hottest wrestling podcast on the planet. We just witnessed why. 
All right. On Facebook, simply like and follow Ron on either or both his two available Facebook pages, Ron Fuller, the Tennessee stud or author Ron Fuller Welch to become friends with a legend on Twitter or Instagram. It's the same on both Ron Fuller Welch. And don't forget that fantastic Southeastern continental five pack of DVDs with 67 matches and more than 12 hours of wrestling history. See many of the great stars that came from these territories, from Arn Anderson to Hulk Hogan to the Lord Humongous, too many to name. Almost a hundred stars in this great offer at tnstud.com. Click Stud Store for your historic five pack. Only $39.99. That includes shipping. The entire Super Studcast number 40. We've been raving, and so have you. It's now out. More than three hours with 12 great stars, all celebrating the upcoming 200th Studcast. The Honky Tonk Man, Jim Cornette, Jerry Briscoe, Kevin Sullivan, Robert Fuller, Jimmy Golden, Dutch Mantel, Tommy Rich, Mr. Olympia Jerry Stubbs, the Lord Humongous, and the great Brian Last. Hearing these conversations is something very special. And just as all Super Studcast are, You can find them all at tnstud.com or patreon.com slash studcast. It gets you more than three hours of history for only $2.99. It is the best deal in wrestling. And Brutus is still out there terrorizing the Great Smoky Mountains National Park. This novel is being compared to Jaws for a very good reason. It has almost 50 five-star global reviews. Find out why. It's the best story America's storyteller Ron Fuller has ever told. Get it today on Amazon.com, Brutus Novel, or get the special autograph copy at TNstud.com. Click Stud Store and get ready for something really very special. All right. Congratulations again. Way to go, Ron. So where to next week? Where do we ride? Well, we're going to do some teaching again, obviously, in the next today's training. And then we're going to explore another great card, Friday, May the 12th, 1977. The next card will also have Terry Funk and Tor Tanaka added to the rest of all these Southeastern stars. This new Mr. Knoxville, Gigi Gorgeous George Jr. <laughs> I mean, the cast is growing weekly. You know, and it'll also be the first Saturday in the next TV rating period of May 1977. So the TV show is going to be loaded again with a special appearance by both Terry Funk and Tor Tanaka on this show. And I'm also uh, going to be defending the Southeastern TV trophy on this television show against the Mongolian Storm. Wow. So we're going to talk about the results and the attendance for the next big Coliseum show. And we're going to end next week with another one of those great questions for the learning tree. I want to thank all those thousands and thousands of new listeners joining us the last two studcasts. I hope you continue to ride with us each week. And don't forget to tell your friends and family about what we do here. And uh, please take care of yourselves out there and others. And may God bless us all. Hey, God bless you too, stud. This is David Summers thanking you for joining us today and reminding you that Ron Fuller's studcast is a production of the Arcadian Vanguard Podcast Network. Thanks for joining us today for this historic studcast. The true story continues next week. So full Nelson your friends and point them in our direction 
for another ride with the Tennessee Stud. This is David Summers saying so long from the Great Smoky Mountains.